Well, welcome uh, again, everyone. Um, people ask me, uh, what is the hardest part of preaching every week? And uh, the first hardest part is the anxiety of, will I get the sermon done by Thursday afternoon so I can have my Friday off? I know that's usually not what people think. I'm not, I'm not one of those artistic procrastinators who's like, if I do it at the last minute, I work so much better. I am the opposite. I was the nerd in college who kept pestering the professor, what's the paper assignment so I can start early? Did not always endear me with my classmates. <laughs> but I wanted time to plan it out. Anyways, uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is, uh, and a lot of people assume that it's coming up with new things to say. And I've actually found after, what, 23 years, yeah, 23 years of doing this, um, within a month, it'll be 23 years in a month, um, it's not coming up with new stuff to say, although I'm sure I repeat myself. And those who've been here the whole, my whole 12 years here will know that I've repeated myself a, a few times. Um, nobody's ever raised their hand and said, uh, Lars, you did that analogy in 2016. Been there, done that. Um, although I'm sure I have. The hardest part, I find, is trying to decide when in my preaching I want to be comforting and reassuring and positive and inspiring and when I need to be challenging and uh, confronting, and confronting, no, not that strong, but maybe more challenging or pushing us out of our comfort zones to rethink things, and when is the right balance and how much of each, because the truth is the Bible is full of all. The Bible is not just a giant Eckhart Tolle inspirational text, you know? I mean, that stuff sells on Oprah, but that's not the Bible. The Bible is full of stuff. It's full of both challenge and comfort. The prophets do lots of challenging and lots of comforting. Jesus, he challenges and he comforts. Paul does both of them too. Um, for example, look at the Beatitudes here, right? Luke 6. This is, our, this is our gospel reading today, right? Blessed are you who are poor. Yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry. You will be filled. Blessed are you who weep, for you will laugh. Great stuff, right? Who doesn't like that? Comes up, and that's our text for All Saints Day. That's the normal text. And verse 22 keeps going. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. I mean, who, this, is, this is good stuff, right? I mean, who doesn't need to hear when, when, when you're in grief, or when you're struggling, or when you're being bullied, or harassed, or abused, that God is on your side and God is looking out for you and that one day when the resurrection comes, that pain will be wiped out and those things will be gone. Who doesn't want to hear that? I do, right? This is the stuff that gets you through hard times. It's the stuff that you read when you're being bullied and made fun of. Unfortunately, I think too many preachers stop there. Right? They just stop there at the first half. I don't know how many of you, there we go. You recognize this building? It's the Crystal Cathedral. Robert Schuller, you remember him? Started in, I think, 50s or 60s, a drive-in 
at a drive-in theater in Orange County, California. And uh, he, he was one of the first big mega churches out there. Um, he was one of the first people who realized that your church growth is often dependent on the size of your parking lot, that you can't outgrow your parking lot. Because um, in California, especially in the 60s, everything started turning to car. People weren't able to walk to church anymore. And he, he had a very, uh, very clear theological bet. And it was, it, it, was, he, it, was going to be, it was going to be upbeat all the time. He, had a, he was one of the first people who had like a radio show and a TV. His was broadcast on actual TV. He called it the Hour of Power. Um, he wrote a book about the Beatitudes. He called it the B happy attitudes. See how he did that? Be happy attitudes. Oh, it sold. He packed them in. He sold the books. It was booming. He's, that, he doesn't, that, that, that's just the church building. That thing's a campus. If you, look, if you Google Earth it, there's a whole Crystal Cathedral campus. But I'm willing to bet money if you were to go through the archive he never read the second half of the Beatitudes. Let's look at verse 24. Woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Way to kill my be happy attitude, Jesus. So what are you saying, Jesus? If I have good things in life and I'm successful, then when the resurrection comes, you're going to wipe it all away and make us all starve? Well, you read it literally, yeah. It's kind of what it says. Hey, look, it's not my job to hide from you what Jesus says. It's my job to try and help explain it and explain how to live it. And Jesus is a lover of the poor and the needy. That's a deep concern of his, Right? And he isn't always sympathetic to the wealthy, even though a lot of some of his disciples were. So it gets a little complicated. But, you know, he does talk in this kind of language all the time. You know, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. If you want to save your life, you have to lose it. This is typical Jesus, right? And I didn't write it, and I'm not going to try to explain it away because it's uncomfortable. You know, and say, well, and I've heard this, I hear this all the time, well, Jesus didn't really mean, woe to you who are rich. He means, woe to you who are rich and hold your wealth in your heart. As long as you don't hold it in your heart, then it's okay. So Elon Musk is good as long as it's, he doesn't hold it in his heart. Who knows what's in Elon Musk's heart? Does he have a heart? I don't know. Have we proven that yet? I don't know. But, but this heart stuff, you, you, you know my thoughts on the heart stuff. I've, I've gone over this before, right? This belief that sort of a sin isn't a sin unless there's some sort of emotional attachment to it, right? And I always kind of think that's a little bit ridiculous. You know, like, picture yourself, it's like a Saturday, you know, and you're over at the top golf and it's cars and coffee, right? And there's a guy who's got a Lamborghini parked there with all these classic cars, and you go up and you hotwire it, assuming that's a doable thing, and you drive off in his Lamborghini and you're buzzing up Silver Bell at 120, and there goes Miranda Cops. Lights go on, pulls you over, you know, gets out and flips up his eyelashes. 
boy, you know how long you've been driving? Because, of course, in Miranda, they all talk like it's Alabama, right? All cops talk like it's Alabama. And you know, you know how fast you've been driving? Oh, yeah, officer, I know I jacked this Lambo and drove over the speed limit, but I don't have it in my heart. It doesn't mean anything to me. I don't hold this Lambo in my heart. And he goes, well, let me see. Let me take the heart-o-meter out. Yeah, it says you only have 49% attachment to it. You're good. See you later. Have a nice day. Yeah. Or, you hear this one, people actually do this one, right? They'll go to Vegas, you know, they'll hook up with some stranger after the club, and the next thing you know, the stranger Instagrams it, and so the wife finds the Instagram post, and then you come back and go, oh, uh, honey, it didn't mean anything. It, we weren't attached. I don't have Jasmine in my heart. Was that her name? I don't have her in my heart, so it's not cheating. Try that. See if that works. <laughs> See if you can pull the heart defense. People do, right? Right? I can quit cheating anytime, hon. I just don't choose not. I just choose not to. I don't have it in my heart. Right. You know, there's a sense in which we all kind of know, don't we, that wrong is wrong whether the heart-o-meter tips one way or the other, you know? So why do we think that when Jesus says something, if we don't like it, we can just insert the words in your heart, and then he doesn't mean it? You know, we've neutralized it. When he says, woe to you, in your heart. Oh, good. Now I don't have to, don't have to look at my own lifestyle anymore. You know, I feel bound, in a sense, to teach the truth of what the Bible says and what Jesus says, but, you know, I know, I know that God's hand of comfort is probably the reason most of us are here. I can tell you in my own faith life, it was God's presence in dark moments that brought me back to the church. It wasn't being challenged about politics. It was comfort, and, and, and I recognize that, and I want people to know that. That when we are going through hard times, God is here and God is us. When we weep and we mourn, God does give us consolation. But I also want us to experience a real consolation and a comfort, not a fake one or a shallow one or a superficial one, like, you know, the platitudes that people get you when you lose a loved one and they say something stupid like, and I actually heard someone who said someone told them this, right? Guy said he lost his, his wife had a miscarriage, lost a daughter, and some, some Christian, he was an atheist, comes up and goes, oh, don't worry, God just needed another angel. Yeah, that did not help. You were just washing it over. Instead of just being there and saying, look, I'm sorry, man, can I pray with you? This sucks, I'm sorry, can I pray with you? That would have gone a lot better than trying to walk, smear over the discomfort right? I want a real comfort that's not shallow, a real comfort of a God who is in a real world where people have, where there's poverty, and there is injustice, and those things are real. And a comfort and a consolation that doesn't address the real things is a fake comfort. And well, a little evidence of it? Schuler's Crystal Cathedral. You know what happened to his church? Schuler retired, his son couldn't handle it, 
Things fell apart. They sold it to the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Orange County. It is now literally a cathedral. The Catholic Church bought it. The be-happy attitudes must not have sold with all those kids out on the streets of Los Angeles. I can't just preach Easter resurrection saved, Easter resurrection, isn't it great? I I guess I could. But pain will come, and economics will affect your life. And where will God be then? Where will God be when, 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 we de- when real problems hit us? Jump around a little bit. I don't know how many of you guys remember this guy. Remember this guy? Jesse the Body Ventura. He was a 1980s WWF, now it's the WWE, wrestler. Wrestler, I put that in big quotes, right? We all know it's a show. Then he ran in, uh, I want to say like 96 or something, uh, and became governor of Minnesota. He ran as an independent outside candidate. Many friends have said, I just voted for him because the others were kind of stiff and I wanted, I didn't think he'd actually win. Well, the race split three ways and he got a plurality and he won. And he ended up becoming a one-term governor um, and you can look up all the crazy things. He, had his, he didn't want to live in the governor's mansion, so he gave it to his son as a dorm, and there was, it turned into a party pad. And it, it was a sideshow. Um, he became a one-term governor, and sort of the, the phrase was, nobody ever united Republicans and Democrats in Minnesota better than Jesse the Body Ventura. <laughs> but one of the things that made him a one-term governor was he was a flaming atheist. And he stood up and he said, organized religion is for weak-minded people who like strength in numbers. Now I take what a guy in a feather boa says <laughs> with a grain of salt. I mean, a guy who fake gets in, you know, in his fake wrestling suit and then fake yells at his fake opponent and fake wrestles in a fake ring you know, in a crowd of large numbers with a grain of salt, but what he says, there's a lot of people who agree with him. He was probably willing to say out loud what other politicians were afraid of. There's a lot of people who agree with that. A lot of people will tell you that if you are a strong person who just embraces the hardness of reality and doesn't seek you know, to be fed comfort and reassurances all day long, just be strong and be independently thinking and brave, and you don't need the crutch of religion. A lot of people believe that. And, And I would argue, of course, that there's nobody who gets through life purely on thinking and bravery and strength. We all need each other. We all have our networks. We all have things we rely on. But that's maybe for another sermon. But if all we ever talk about is feel good and easy, and we never address issues of social and economic things, if we never talk about suffering and injustice and poverty, then I wonder if maybe he's kind of right. I hope he's not right. That'd be the last thing I want to do is admit that Jesse the body was right. <laughs> so I've made it, not because of him, but I made it part of my call to try to build what I would characterize as strong Christianity, strong faith, resilient faith, deep faith, that can handle struggles, 
that's okay dealing with questions and challenges without freaking out, that can take on the hard sayings of Jesus and not get nervous or have to like smooth it over and make it not say what it says because I don't like it. And, and, and the hard part is doing that up front and not turning into a self-righteous jerk who's sitting there pointing fingers going, you people need to do this, and you people need to do that, and you people are doing wrong. I've heard those sermons. I don't listen to them every week either. Right? And I've, I've heard, you know, so this is the struggle. Jesus preaches comfort, and Jesus preaches challenge. If he's loving, he'll speak comfort where it heals and where it hurts. Because that's what a loving person does, you know? And sometimes to be loving means you have to speak the truth. If you go to your doctor, right, and you've got all these health problems, and you sit down and you ask, doctor, what do I need to do? And the doctor says, you've got to lose weight, cut the, cut the drinking, exercise a lot, have more broccoli, you know? What are you going to do? <sighs> right? Are there people who get told by their doctors the hard truth and then run to yelp? Oh, doctor, so-and-so is a meanie and doesn't care about me. Zero stars. Worst doctor ever. But if you're a good doctor, do you just run and tell people what they want to hear so you can get good ratings? Right? There's a concern about that. It's a concern in medicine. It's a concern in education. Right? That everything's become about trying to please customers to get ratings. If a doctor loves you, he won't tell you to continue in a lifestyle that's destructive to you. That's not the doctor's job. It's not loving to hide that from you. Let's look at Luke 26. There's a line at the, at the end of the, I say, the positive part of the Beatitudes that I want to look at here. And I think this is, this is key. Jesus puts this one in before he switches to the woes. Well, the first woe. Woe to you when all, your, when, when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. If everyone likes what you say, you're probably not doing your job. Prophets comfort when we're suffering. Read the end of Isaiah, chapter after chapter, of some of the most beautiful comforting words. But they also call us out when we need to hear the truth. They warn us of consequences of actions, but they also promise hope when we repent, right? But God doesn't seem to have much patience for those who call themselves prophets but only chase approval ratings. Let's look at Jeremiah 6. It says, For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. What makes a false prophet false is that they say what people want to hear even when it's bad for them. They're people pleasers. They know who butters their bread, and they don't bite the hand that feeds them. And so in Jeremiah's time, they're sitting here, and there's an invading army that's ready to sack the city, and the false prophets are all saying, oh, no, no, you can beat them. Don't worry about it. You can beat them. God will give you victory. You don't need to do anything. You got this. And this army is the massive army, and they've been steamrolling every empire in the world, but we're, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. 
And Jeremiah comes up and goes, no, you won't be fine. You need to just surrender and pay tribute. Give in, you can't, your fighting won't work. What politician's going to keep his job by telling the people we need to surrender and take it? You're gone. So what do the false prophets do? They tell them that. So Jeremiah comes along. What do they do to Jeremiah? They throw him in the well. They throw him in the stocks. They throw him in prison. They shoot the messenger, basically. They don't actually don't kill him. He ends up getting hauled off to Egypt because when they do sack the city, the Babylonians go, that guy told the truth, so we'll spare him. False prophets, they're, they're like the relatives that tell you you don't have to stop drinking when you got a drinking problem. Oh, yeah, you can control it. You'll be fine. You know? False prophets tell you you can make money any way you want. There's nothing, there are no bad business practices. You don't have to treat your employees well. Nobody's ever poor because the system made it. They just made bad choices. They're all just lazy. You know, hunger is just caused by people not wanting to work. You know, corporations never do anything wrong. The environment's not getting trashed. It's all good. That's what a false prophet says. You know, I can't say. I honestly can't say that I know where the line is between pushing and comforting. And if there is a line, I've probably gone on either side of it. I'm not sure I always know where it is. I can't say I get it right. Um, I know it's the biggest thing that gives me second thoughts about what I put in my sermon. There's been weeks when I write the sermon and have to scrap it because I'm like, oh man, Lars, you really went to town on this one. <laughs> there was a newsletter article I did a few years ago. God bless Paulette, we'd printed the whole thing. And I woke, I couldn't sleep last night, that night. And I'm like, I can't mail this thing out. This is like, this is like an angry Facebook post or something. <laughs> and I said, I hate to do this. It's what, keeps the, it's what keeps me up is, am I being too pushy? Do I need more of a gentle word? Is it not enough? Am I turning into the finger pointer? I don't want to be a finger pointer. I, you know, I've scrapped them and redone them. I hate wasting the time, but, you know, I don't want to be a false prophet, even though I also want everyone to know God's comfort. You know, I, I want you and everyone else to be strong Christians, not weak-minded Christians. I want you to have a faith that's strong enough that it won't send you running when you read a text that's hard or something that challenges your worldview. I try to speak comfort to pain and challenge to complacency. I don't know if I get it right, but I hope that it leads to a real faith that's strong-minded and where we have enough comfort in God that we, that we can weather the storms of discomfort from a hard text or a challenge. That, that, that our relationship with Christ is solid enough and deep enough that that's what anchors us. And so we don't have the fragileness of worrying about, oh my gosh, he, he, I can't handle that, I better run. I believe that Jesus is that powerful and that strong and that loving that he's with us in those times. And that's what I want for you and for everyone, is to, have, to know that kind of a faith. So we can argue on the sides about interpreting a woe verse without it being a threat to our relationship with Christ. Amen.